Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Future of Sales. I'm your host, Sahil Mansouri, CEO of Bravado. And with me today is another guest from the booming Atlanta uh, tech scene, uh, Garrett Lee, who is the director of sales at Springbot. Uh, Garrett, thanks for thanks for joining us. Welcome to The Future of Sales. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on, Sahil. Yeah, really excited, man. So uh, just for the benefit of uh, those listeners who uh, are not as familiar with Springbot, perhaps you could give us a, a little brief overview. Yeah, so we you know, started as more of like a data and analytics company, um, letting customers take actionable, um, you know, getting actionable insights from their data and actually taking data-driven actions that make sense. And um, we've come full circle. We've come a, a much um, longer way than, than just providing interesting data. Now we give people the ability to, you know, automate a lot of their actions and, um, you know, make much more informed decisions. And we kind of pride ourselves on having this all in one concept, which is something that was missing from the, the market. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so, um, you know, I, I think one of the things that we found on hosting these shows is everyone's got a very unique story into how they uh, ended up in sales, what their first sales job was when they first discovered that they were going to be a salesperson. I would love to, would love to hear your origin story. Yeah. Um, so I was a hockey player for a while and uh, my mom was always in sales. She was a C-level at um, several different like large corporate organizations. And so I always, heard about a lot of what went on in sales and different models. And um, when I was done playing hockey, I played before college, during and after a little bit. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I got involved in the first medical marijuana business in Boulder County, um, oddly enough. And so that, you know, kind of propelled me into the workforce in the opposite way that most people do. Like, I was a co-founder. Um, we made a lot of mistakes and, <laughs> uh, eventually we sold the business. We were acquired after like three and a half years. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I was in Florida in West Palm at the time. And I met a recruiter at a friend's bar and she was like, you know, I recruit for this, this Japanese holding company. Um, it's, it's plastic surgery. And she didn't really tell me like, a lot about exactly what it was. She was like, but you would do great. You should be in sales. You also have great hair. And I was like, okay, thank you. And I found out it was for Adirans. It was hair club for men was the opportunity that she had. And it was so strange to me and so foreign. Like I grew up in a hockey locker room. Um, I had no real sales experience. I had more of an operational background and that's what I was kind of pursuing. But, um, I wanted a reason to leave Florida and I never really lived anywhere for more than two or three years. So I was like, I'll go to Atlanta for a couple of years, um, do this and see what happens and then leave. And I love the sales aspect. I got trained to run the business essentially from more of an operational standpoint, but I still had to sell when someone wasn't available. And I used to travel to different markets to do this from time to time. And um, I learned so much about, sales and in an environment that I never thought I would be in and in a mode of sales that was just abnormal to me. Um, you know, it's, it's such an emotional psychological sale, um, any kind of like plastic surgery. And it was so far out of my comfort zone. I, I wasn't super passionate to be honest about what I was doing. It was just kind of like 
something to build my resume and, and make money. Um, and I decided, okay, I, I wanted to be a part of building an organization and doing something I'm passionate about that like I had done in the past, um, but not be the one responsible for signing paychecks and, and those kinds of things and kind of avoiding any kind of added responsibility beyond my role. And so I got in touch with Springbot very early stages and um, I had a really interesting conversation with my now VP of sales and our CTO, Joe Reger, um, around his interest in me stemming from my psychology background mixed with the type of emotional sales that I was involved in. He's like, I think that Springbot is going in this direction to where um, we're really going to need to understand people and because their businesses are essentially just an extension of who they are as a person. And we really need people that can connect with them, um, understand their problems and, you know, kind of build them back up and, and build trust in, in that sales relationship. And he's like, right now, I think we're just doing a lot of value dropping and, and we're just, you know, reading rehearsed lines about why our product's great and we need people that can do this. So I was so excited. Um, and when I came on, we, we had like nine people and um, on the sales side now, just, you know, we're, we're approaching like 75. So it's been a very fun experience building up this team and watching the company grow and getting to kind of work cohesively with all the different departments. And, um, you know, that's, that's the short version of how I, I got into sales or, or why I was excited for, for this opportunity, which I've, I've learned a lot from. And, and how long have you been with uh, Springbot? So almost four years, um, which I tell everybody that's like, it, it's like eight years <laughs> at a lot of other places um, in terms right. of, of blood, sweat, and tears that we've all had to pour in for a lot of the people who have, who have been here for the last like three to four years. Yep. No, that makes sense. Um, so, you know, one of the main reasons that we got in touch uh, was because, you know, we've been doing some research around uh, the stigma of salespeople and, you know, both for those who enter the profession, for those that are in the profession, you know, dealing with customers. Um, and I think you had some thoughts around, you know, kind of the, the general ethos and, and culture of sales as an industry, as a profession, and then specific to your role. Would, would love to dive into that because I think that's something that, you know, we, we don't discuss nearly, nearly enough. Yeah. Um, you know, the stigma of sales, I think for a lot of people, especially newer reps that, haven't, you know, seen a lot of different types of, of sales models and seen a lot of different industries, you start to get the feeling that you're unwanted or that you're a pest or that, um, you know, people inherently don't want to talk to you. And um, one of the things that I always remind people is like, this is how business has been done for hundreds, if not thousands of years, um, people getting together and sharing ideas around how they can help each other, right? And, you know, so one of the questions I was asked by, by Ashley when I first um, started speaking with you guys was around, like, have you ever been embarrassed to be a salesperson? I was like, absolutely not. You know, um, I take this approach, like I, I sort of take what I would consider like the Eastern medicine approach to sales um, versus what I think has kind of been shoved down everybody's throats the last 20 plus years or so that since I've been alive around, you know, crushing your number and being the best and influencing people to do things that maybe aren't good for them just to, just to help yourself. And I don't think that that's what salespeople should be doing or that's how they should think. I think you need to have this very methodical psychological approach to 
who is the person that I'm talking to, right? When we're looking at an enterprise level sale, we're selling not to a company, we are on paper, but we're selling to a person and typically, you know, not a stakeholder in the business. We're selling to someone on the premise of how am I going to make their life better and why should they even care about a change of process or a switch of software, right? We have to understand what motivates that individual in order to speak to them. And when we're selling to a stakeholder, let's say it's, you know, small to mid-sized market uh, e-commerce and we're selling to an, a proprietor, an owner of a business, we need to understand similar things, you know, what motivates this person? Who are they? How do they speak? What, what kind of infliction of, of tone do they use when they talk to you? Um, what type of questions are they asking me? You know, there's so many key indicators around how someone communicates with you that should tell you, how should I be communicating back with them? You know, and, and once you start to display yourself as an expert in whatever you do, and not by dropping, you know, knowledge and statistics around whatever product you have, because at the end of the day, like no one really cares, right? Before they trust you, there's this wall. And I think that wall is really representative of the stigma of sales. And it's just a constant game of chipping away at that wall and getting them to trust you and see, I am a person, I have rational thought, I care about whatever it is that you care about. And I'm going to display that in the way that I talk to you. And so I think every single call or meeting is a, is an opportunity to demolish the stigma of sales. If you believe that there is one, or if you, you believe it has a negative connotation, or if you're low on your confidence because people have been hanging up on you when you call or, or people haven't been showing up to your follow-ups, it's not a matter of sales being bad. It's a matter of what am I not doing the right way? Because this is just a human to human interaction. And it's one that's been going on for hundreds, again, if not thousands of years. And um, I think we're getting to this point. It's very interesting with what Bravado does, but we're getting to this point where user generated content is at the epicenter of trust um, with the internet and globalization and the more your brand is built on trust and being responsible and holding yourself accountable to what you tell people. And there's a measurement of that. Um, and you can, you can measure that success tangibly in some way. It's so much easier to eliminate that stigma of sales. And that's one of the things I think is so exciting about the environment that we're in, in 2018. You know, there was a lot there that I uh, found myself just like, shaking my head and, and agreeing with you on, um, you know, the, the, the two most salient points that I would like to dive into mm -hmm. are one, that wall that you mentioned, um, which I think is really interesting. And the second half of it is around user-generated content. And so why, why don't we start with the wall? Because I think that's, um, you know, the outset of the experience for most salespeople, which is sure. when you start in sales, uh, especially in tech sales, uh, you typically start as an SDR, right? That's, that's the standard, like yeah. first role out of school sort of thing. And when you start as an SDR, you end up uh, very quickly realizing that the, you know, you need to bring your battering ram to work with you every day. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, you know, people spew things like it's a numbers game and people <laughs> say like, you know, you, uh, you know, if someone doesn't answer after five calls, what should you do? We'll make a sixth. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that sort of vernacular that, that permeates its way throughout sales. And I would have to say that I think there's something misguided about that. Yeah. Um, 
Notably, the fact that trying to coerce, I mean, look, I think we've all had the experience of walking through a mall. Um, not that people go to malls anymore, but at least, <laughs> at least us old people used yeah. to go to malls, Garrett. And, and you and I distinctly recall, you know, there'd be these uh, these like kiosks or carts in the middle and someone some would be selling like dead sea salt or something. Oh, I cannot believe that you're using this example. I literally use this in my training model for new BDRs when I talk about um how good you can be at but anyway keep keep going i'm sorry but that's crazy <laughs> I, 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 I don't know why i've never i've never really mentioned this specific thing before but it, it was just relevant i went to israel recently and i guess i got yeah. to actually do the dead sea float so maybe that was part of it but uh we you know you you have these people that are coming up to you and they're and they're trying to convince you to to apply some of their their scrub on their hands and then and then you go and i mean you know, this, you just, it's, it's this like very heavy push, right? It's this like aggressive sort of uh, model of like trying to pluck someone out of their day and like, you know, kind of, co no, I wanted to say coerce, but it's like kind of um, shove them into your, your yeah. and into the experience. And I, I distinctly remember every time I would see that, I would just like take two steps to the left away from that person and, and, and would try to like avoid, uh, interacting with that person it, it just because it, it's uncomfortable to be like no ma'am or no sir i don't want your like sea scrub salt and they you. know this <laughs> they know that yeah. and, and i know that and we both know that we both know that and yet we're doing it mm -hmm. and, and so you know to me there's something there's something inherently wrong uh, psychologically, and I have a background in psych as well, so I really appreciate your, your take on that. But there's something really wrong psychologically with trying to shove someone or force someone to do something they don't want to do when our ethos as salespeople is to serve customers and put them first. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, it's, again, it's so funny, like that you're using this as an example. I, I like to pull people in and I tell this story. I was in high school. They used to let us leave for lunch then. I don't know if that's a thing now. Um, and so. we'd go to this mall and I'd usually get like pizza or whatever. And I remember like walking down, this woman grabbed me and she grabbed my arm. She started massaging my arm right away. And I was just like, oh, uh, what's going on? And she starts selling me immediately on this Dead Sea soap. And I had like $20 to my name um, and she got it from me. And I always talk to people about this example. I'm like, we don't want to influence someone to do something they don't want to do. That's not going to help our business at the end of the day. We are here to do the right thing by this customer. Um, and if that means not upselling them on a package that's far too expansive for them, or if that means um, not upselling them on a package at all uh, because it's not a good fit, or if maybe they need to do more work before they're actually in a position to see the benefit from what we do, it maybe hurts at that moment, but that's your brand and that's the book of business that you're building for yourself. And if you want to build it on misinformation or, and I think coercion is a great word, like influence is so powerful. And I've seen a lot of great salespeople that aren't even aware of how powerful their influencing skills are. Um, and they're able to get people to do things that other people can't and that maybe aren't in their best interest. And they're sometimes not even aware of it. And I think that's where, you know, as, leadership in any sales organization like you you have to be focused on doing the right thing and um a colleague of mine you know mentioned something 
to me last week that was so profound. And he said, we talk about the customer success end of a business so much. You know, we're so focused on sales. We're so focused on hitting a number. But at the same time, we also are so focused on customer success because that that is what's going to give our business longevity. And that's what's going to give, ultimately, it's like a baton handoff in a relay. That's what's going to continue this customer's excitement and, and their experience in terms of onboarding with a new product. And, um, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about in terms of our ethos and, and our messaging to, you know, our newer reps and the people that we're training is do not be aggressive in the sale. We, we will be extraordinarily aggressive in the, in the onboarding process because that is a point where the customer is vulnerable. They're wondering, did I make the right choice? Um, did I overspend? You know, is this really going to make me the money that, that so-and-so promised? And it's such an important part of sales. You know, you have to be so aligned in terms of selling someone on what they need with the right idea, but also having that handoff be just as impactful and just as personalized. And uh, we don't, and I say we, like wherever I am, like I don't want reps having that um, mentality around do whatever it takes to get the sale. If it's the right thing, sure, go above and beyond. But if it's crossing out of that gray area where, you know, maybe this isn't the right thing or this, what I'm telling them does not make sense or this isn't the truth. And that's where I think sales, again, going back to stigma, that's where it stems from. It's people not doing the right thing. And again, user-generated content, this is a, for, a forum for people to see, wow, there's other people in my position, um, whatever it is, whether they're just consumers or if they're buying B2B or whatever the case may be, um, the, this, this company took care of them or this product worked the way they said it would or this person actually stood by their words, whatever it is. Um, and I think that's, that's helping to destroy the stigma of sales. Um, in a lot of facets of retail distribution, you know, you, you look at how important reviews are on e-commerce retail sites. And now I think you're starting to see that in the tech world, which is really cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, speaking to that, um, one of the kind of, uh, moments in which, um, we thought, okay, there might be, um, a play here with with helping salespeople build their reputation uh, came from my experience at Glassdoor. So when I started at Glassdoor, uh, now over seven years ago, which is kind of crazy to say, um, you know, I was one of the first like 20 employees of the company. And I recall very distinctly that when I first started, uh, we would get on the phone with HR leaders and they were either unfamiliar with Glassdoor or they had like loosely heard of it. But at the time, it was a very small uh, company, a very small endeavor. And we would get on the phone with them and we would show them that there were these reviews that their employees had left on their um, uh, on the on the company page, mm-hmm. detailing both salary information as well as interview questions, as well as reviews of what it's actually like to work at the company. And what I found fascinating from that was the amount of vitriol that came from it. Uh, (laughs) It was, it was, yes, there were those exceptions. Notably, I I think of Facebook, I think of Microsoft, I think of Goldman Sachs, I think of Bain. You know, there were handfuls of companies that were, that were like, this is amazing. You know, what a great concept. We, you know, this, this thing is going to be huge one day. And like we need to invest uh, in making this a a place that that really reflects our employment brand. 
But the vast majority of the people that we spoke to were horrified. And they were horrified for two reasons. One, they said, wait a minute, this is just a bunch of people that are disgruntled employees or, or you know, basically for every hundred happy employees we have, we have one person who's pissed off and, and that person's going and this is just a rant site and this is extortion or racketeering where, you know, you want us to pay money in order to take reviews down and it, none of which was true, by the way. Yeah. Like, store had a, had, a, had a firm divide, has to this day, a firm divide between, you know, the sales side and the, and the, and the customer review, the B2C side uh, that was never crossed. Um, but Yelp had just gotten in trouble. This is now 2010. And yeah. Yelp had just gotten in trouble because their sales reps had been promising that like, small business owners that they would like, you know, promote positive reviews and stuff. And so like, there is a lot of distrust around this user generated content. The second big objection was, was was who the fuck cares? Like, yeah. like who cares what some random person on the internet has to say? Like if people are going to come to the source of truth, and the source of truth is our recruiter, or the source of truth yeah. is um, you know a meeting with our employees or our company. And and people summarily dismissed Glassdoor as an idea because they're like, you know, no one's going to trust what some random person says online. Uh, that's not how people make decisions. Now let's fast forward to twenty. Now let's fast forward to twenty eighteen. I, my wife and I just took a trip um, throughout Europe, and every city we went to, there were two websites that I used most prevalently. One was TripAdvisor, right, and the second one was Booking.com, sure. and. Because Yelp is not as big there. And and every time, all I did was type in, like, seafood restaurant and then go to TripAdvisor and then see what was the highest rated seafood restaurants and read the reviews and see what it's like. Because as a, as a, as a tourist, as someone who's coming into a foreign country or into a foreign city, even in your home city, really... Yeah. All you want to do is say, well, other people have been in the exact same position as me. I want to know what happened with those people before I make the same commitment. And I'm talking about like a $25 piece of fish, right? We're not talking about, we're not talking about a $25,000 or a $250,000 piece of software. Yeah. So if I'm a salesperson, and if I'm trying to convince someone to spend tens of or hundreds of thousands of dollars with my company, it would behoove me to be able to say, well, hey, there have been other buyers who have been in the exact same situation as you. Let me show you what they've had to say and, and be able to use, uh, you know, you say user-generated content. You know, we very specifically here say you know, it's customer content, or it's customer mm -hmm. testimonials. And being able to use those as a way to... Um, you know, in, in some way, give, give, give comfort, give trust, you know, build, build, build a, a foundation that, that lets them say, well, yes, I trust you, Garrett. And of course I like you. And of course, like, you know, I'm excited to work with you, but it gives me even more reassurance to know that like your customers feel the same way that I'm feeling right now. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I, you know, it, it's the TripAdvisor example is, is perfect. Um, we can do so much, you know, building trust and building rapport. But at the end of the day, it's not one person that's responsible for an entire sales process. Like there's so many different avenues in, in a company of marketing, customer success channel. Um, and we use a lot of these different avenues to get to prospects and to help us build rapport, help chip away at their wall in the beginning stages. But when you're getting, yeah, like in the, the later stages of a sales cycle, you know, and again, I believe that 
if it's not like a, a dollars and cents deal and it's actually something that's going to be impactful and has meaning and um, there's high risk involved for a lot of prospects, especially in the enterprise space. There's typically a lot of perceived risk from the consumer's end. And so it's our role to, again, chip away at that wall. You know, in, in my experience, subconsciously overcome that perceived risk without even needing to really address it just by demonstrating that like we understand what that risk is uh, without them even needing to say it. But once we kind of get to that point where they, they trust and they know that we do understand there's still that big kind of gap between, okay, I, I trust this person. I, I believe him. I am excited. He's gotten me excited about this product. And I don't think that people inherently think these things. I think these are just subconscious thoughts that kind of sure, shoot sure, through sure, the, the sure. synapses. But um, there is always that wonder of who else out there has done this and what was their experience like? Because there's been a lot of bait and switch that's gone on again for hundreds of years in, in any market. And, you know, I still have people that think that somehow, you know, at the end of the, the sales conversation, is this a scam? <laughs> and it's like, no, we, we have a hundred and you know, 60 plus employees. Like we have a reputation. We have a lot of customers. Like we're not, no, no, it's not. Um, and I think, reviews and testimonials, you know, they, they help in that and they're invaluable in that part of the sales process because there's really no other way to say, just take my word for it. People, people shouldn't have to take anyone's word for anything. They should have a forum. Um, again, whether it's something like Glassdoor when they're looking at different companies and they're researching through the interview process or um, whether it's buying a pair of jeans or whether it's going to a restaurant or, or anything, there should be transparency. Um, and I think that's what globalization and, and has brought is that a tremendous amount of transparency through the internet and specific to sales. Like, of course it's going to drip down to, to sales and sales process at some point. Here we are um, in a somewhat early stage, but relatively mature compared to 2010. Um, right. And, you know, now talking to companies like Bravado that, that are offering um, these kinds of forums for, for people to make better informed decisions, which is what we all want to do at the end of the day. That's right. And I, I appreciate the, the kind words about, you know, the Bravado platform, but I think, you know, what, you, you really hit the nail on the head, which is in every sales cycle, there's that moment in which we, we see the buyer, uh, the prospect, have, have a little bit of doubt. And mm -hmm. that doubt typically comes when they're most excited, not when they're least excited. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, I know you're a salesperson mm -hmm. and I know that you're trying to sell me something. And yes, everything you just said sounds really good, sir or ma'am. But um, am I am I falling for something here? And that fear of if I'm am I falling for something here is is a really, really um I think it's a human instinct. I think it's uh, I think it's because not only have we seen it in pop culture and not only have we all just like personally experienced it in some way, but it's just like a, a part of the human condition. And so, you know, th that's the moment when they usually ask for a reference. 
And that's the moment when they usually want to talk to somebody else, or that's the moment when they try to go online and try to find somebody else that they can, you know, or reach out to their network or whatever it is and try to get a little bit of social proof, a little bit of social validation in order to ensure that they're not making a mistake. And the problem is most companies at that moment think the right move is to send the, 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 the prospect a case study or to direct them to their website. And I, and I compare this again back to, uh, because I've, I've long been of the belief that B2B is just a 10-year laggard of B2C. And whatever it is that happens in, in B2C, it, B2B follows it, but it just takes a while for us to get there. Um, you know, when I look at something like, uh, you know, Netflix and I see like, you know, you go to Netflix's homepage and it's like $6.99 a month, no credit card required, one month free trial, click here to sign up, right? Or I go to Amazon and I see, you know, one, one, one click to buy. And then I go to any B2B company's website and it's like contact sales and there's all these like barriers to, to, to actually purchasing. But, but in this specific example, you know, on the B2C side, Imagine if you were trying to decide between two restaurants uh, that you wanted to go to. Imagine you were trying to decide between two hotels that you wanted to book. Nobody goes to the hotel's website and and like it tries to figure out based on the website of the hotel yeah, which one the rooms right nobody yeah let me go look at rooms nobody yeah. goes to a restaurant's website and like looks at like the the content on like their website in order to make a decision sure you'll go check out the menu right if the menu's on there you'll go check it out but that's not how you make the decision the way you make the decision is you look at what other people had to say on some sort of an aggregator site like Yelp or TripAdvisor or booking.com or whatever, right? And so I think that this is one of the fundamental flaws in the sales process is that all of the content that you have around customer testimonials is all bottled up on your own personal website. And what we're trying to do with Bravado is, is give a platform that's a third party representation, validated customer testimonials that you can use in order to say, hey, go check out my page. You know, that I've worked with many other customers that have been in the exact same position as you, and you can check out what they've had to say about working with me. And you know, one of the one of the interesting things that we've seen as a result of that, and we've you know we do a lot of tracking and, and measurement around this because, you know, that's that's the way of the world that we're in today. Yeah. Um, we've seen that over sixty five percent of customers who have gotten to the reference stage and been shown a bravado profile have not then followed up that request with a need to speak to somebody. So two and three reference requests are, are met digitally for Bravado members. And I always used to call this the, the, the two-week delay in sales, which is yeah. they want a reference. Now you got to scramble through your CS team to find someone sure. who's going to get on the phone with them. Then <laughs> you get that person. And no, you can't hit up the same person over and over again because they're like, at a certain point, they're like, dude, I'm not on your payroll, right? Like, yeah. And so, you know, there's like some sort of a level of, 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 of like, you know, maybe once a quarter I can ask you to do this or something. And then 
you find the person, you email them to ask if they're willing to do it. They agree to do it. Then you email the prospect and the customer, get them on the phone. Then they play calendar tag for a while. And then eventually, hopefully they get on the phone uh, and they have a conversation. And, and, and sometimes that process can take a couple days if you're really lucky. Most of the time it takes a week and, and sure. usually it takes like two to three weeks. And so, you know, where, where you end up with is like a, a complete stagnation of the sales cycle for something that can easily, easily be solved using a digital medium. And so that yeah. I think has been one of the prevalent use cases of Bravado for sales reps has been, hey, this is a way for me to accelerate my deal cycle and to be able to leverage uh, digital credibility as a way of assuaging a customer who's like right in that moment of like, eh, I'm not sure if I should do this or not, uh, giving them the comfort that, hey, others have been in your shoes and they've walked away happy. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, you you nailed it on the head. I mean, there, that lag time in the sales process, not only does it, can it kill deals, um, mm-hmm. but it's also this mad scramble to find someone that can speak basically to everything that you've already talked about, but just, that's just a different voice. It's not a salesperson. Um, and again, yeah, that's why it's so important. I mean, you know, we, we place tremendous importance on company reviews and those things in certain areas that we are. And I think like channel and partnerships, um, that realm of any business and, and speaking, you know, to the software space, channel and partnerships is, is such an important part of developing an identity for a company because, you know, you kind of have this friend that has insight into people that you want to talk to. Um, and you can use that friend in order to get to certain points in a conversation. Um, and that's great. You know, and that gives credibility sometimes to smaller companies that are up and coming when you have a a bigger, better known partner in whatever space that you're in. And on the flip side to that, yeah, is being able to showcase other people that have had a positive experience and, and also showcase why, you know, so that, um, they know it's not bullshit, which a lot of people, especially today, people are, I feel like so much more inherently skeptical. Like you were talking about, there's this innate drive that people have to be skeptical when something seems great. And I, I don't know if it comes to like basic self-preservation, um, you know, and, and not that I think anyone thinks they're going to die if they make the wrong choice, but that desire to not want to get into something that is not going to be good for them or that they could be judged harshly on or could adversely affect them. And, um, you know, setting, setting up the, the deal in the right way, you, you have to counter that. And so without that type of, of, you know, like something that like Barato offers, um, really, you know, I, I try to counter that on a psychological level before, uh, like during the sales process. And I think that's how a lot of salespeople have had to do it. Like you already have to go in knowing they're going to be sketched out by me at some point, no matter how well I represent myself and how intelligent I sound about this space and this product. Like you have to know they're going to try to probably back out. They're going to talk themselves out of this at some point. They're never going to tell you. And you have to know that. And this is I think you still have to have that approach to some degree, but you know, I also, <laughs> I, I know firsthand that if you have the ability to showcase your book of work in a positive light, um, that will also alleviate a lot of the burden of that mad scramble to kind of overcome that, that mental process that all buyers will go through at some point. 
I mean, I go through it when I buy order food at a restaurant. I'm like, should I have gotten the chicken? Should I have gotten the, the salmon? I don't know. Like, I, you know, and um, that's a it's much completely inconsequential. I mean, like yeah. at the end of the day, like, dude, you're gonna eat like a million million meals in your life, and exactly, and, and it's just like one. And, and ultimately, the difference between the chicken and the salmon is going to be negligible in your life. And yet, we we ruminate over it as if like we're we're, we're deciding on a life partner or something. And yeah, it's like this mentality that we as human beings have which is we we always want to have the most optimal outcome regardless of you know whether the incremental gain is worth the burden of of consideration and i think that that psychologically has a massive impact in the way that sales is done but at the same time it, it is you're right like you have to play defense as a salesperson knowing the fact that this will happen or come up at some point and and your ability to um to, to counter that is really one of the key, uh, I, I would say, defining characteristics between a great and a good salesperson, where a good salesperson does all the right things, but but it's uh, maybe a better way of looking at this is like a great salesperson is like a great chess player in the sense that I don't know if you play chess, Garrett, but uh, but uh, you, you know it's it's a it's a passion of mine. And yeah. great salesperson is somebody that makes a move, knowing that this move could lead to one of two or three possible outcomes. And then it, no matter what the next move is, they're they're already ready for it. And so at no point are they caught you know, on flat on their feet, yeah. always just like ready and comfortable and, and willing to make the next move. And I, and I find that, you know, a lot of that comes uh, from being able to deeply uh, connect with a buyer on that psychological level to, you know, you mentioned, I, I loved what you said about at the very beginning about the inflection of their, of their voice. I used to do this thing when I was on the phone with, with, with prospects. And to this day, I, I still do it uh, unconsciously when I'm speaking to people, I visualize their face and I close my eyes when I'm speaking to them. And I, and I mm-hmm. pretend as if I'm, I, I, I conjure up an image of that person like right in front of me. And, and so when they're speaking, when they, when they're breathing, when they're typing, when they're, I try to channel what that person must be thinking or feeling at that moment, more so even than like necessarily taking it at the surface level, what they're saying and, and, and try to react to that, which, which, which always served me really well in sales. But yeah, no, I mean, that, that it's kind of what you, you have to do again, if you want to be able to go above and beyond and not you know, I, I love to tell people um, if you're behind and you need to work late or, you know, you want to get it done or you want to go overboard, like that's great. But I love to see people get it done in eight or nine hours in a day. I love to see people hitting their numbers, hitting the metrics that they want to be at so that they know they're on track. And I think a big part of that for a lot of salespeople with very aggressive goals is doing the little things the right way to give yourself the best chance with every single opportunity you have. And, you know, I, I talk a lot in training around like, you know, once I have a BDR that, that moves into like an AE role and, you know, going for the ask or, or, you know, um, closing the deal, you know, it it all obviously starts in that first call, right? It starts in the cold call. It starts with how we're presenting ourselves. And then we have the demo where we're displaying a product and and relaying value to their business and and their um, goals and their market and everything like that. 
But a lot of what people say, it's all bullshit. And you have to know that as well. Like the reasoning that someone's not signing up. I mean, I would love to know the statistics. There's no Google Analytics for this, but I'd love to know the statistics for everyone who has said they were going to move forward with a deal and has backed out. What percentage of those people actually told the truth about why that is? Um, When you ask someone, you know, does this all make sense? Like what percentage of people actually understand or retaining half of what you're saying. I truly believe there's a lot of sales reps out there that think that people are telling them the truth whenever they're speaking, even if it's nothing important, you know, they're just having a conversation. Still, you have to see through everything they're saying. You have to understand what would prompt them to say something like this. You know, what, what are, what fears would they have some, somebody in this position with this type of business and this model and this budget Um, you have to know that most of what you're getting is just, it's a language and it's a form of interaction, but it's not real. And you have to see through that and you have to connect with them again on that psychological level. But, um, knowing first and foremost, whatever reasoning they're giving me for not wanting to do something, it means something else. And I have to figure that out. And I really have to bring myself outside of this linear conversation about their business and their sales model. Um, and go way deeper than that, you know, and, and again, it, it all comes back to trust and connecting and understanding. But, um, yeah, I, I would really love to know, you know, how truthful are people in this buying process? And we I, I think we've all been there at some point. Like there's definitely been times where I have said something that wasn't the truth to get out of a scenario. And sure. you, you we're all very similar, even though, yeah, everyone's different and unique. That's great. But we're all very similar as humans in the way in, in these like different scenarios that we find ourselves and we react similar to one another. And so once you understand that, it's like you, you have to know we got to go deeper than, than the surface level kind of bullshit that gets discussed in a lot of these in, in different points in the sales process. Um, and it, maybe it's not something that you, you start with outright, uh, like in the, the initial cold call, if that's how you're prospecting or the initial email, but at a certain point you have to kind of get, get real and get on the same page as far as what we're both here to do. And that's to grow in a positive way. Um, regardless of what, what the product is, unless you're selling like reams of paper, you know, um, that's right. That's right. And, and I think, and I think, uh, that's a, that's a great point for us to end on because I, you know, um, you you have twice used the term bullshit in this conversation, and I think that uh, whether that's on the side of the buyer or on the side of the seller, there is a lot of bullshit in sales. Yeah, and and it's you know one of our mottos here at Bravado is no bullshit. We we have a fun T-shirt that I'll be shipping your way uh, that that uh, that that encapsulates that motto. Um, but you know, Garrett, the the thing that really strikes me about this conversation, um, and I and I hope for you know all of the sellers who are listening to this, you know, it's it's the fact that you can't take things on surface value. You know, you just can't. Like, and and if you ask someone the question, oh, does this all make sense? They're going to say yes. Nobody's ever going to say no. 
Because what would ever prompt you to admit that you didn't understand something? Like that would be, you, you know, most of the time the buyer is just trying to get through the demo. They're trying to get through the pitch. They're waiting for you to get to pricing. Like they're not going to sit there and ask you um, to, to, to restate a value prop that you went through or, or, yeah. or go through a flow again. I mean, there's just no way. And so you as a salesperson have to be smart about what types of questions you ask. And, 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 you know, one of the things I used to do a lot in sales is if I was suspicious that someone was no longer listening is that I would just stop talking like in the middle of a sentence, I just completely stop talking and just be quiet. And what would happen is, you know, a second, two seconds, three seconds. And it's hard. It's hard as a say, cause you want to fill the void. Oh, it's Four seconds, five yeah. seconds. And eventually the person would be like, hello. And I'd be like, oh, hey, hey, are you there? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I lost you for a second. And, and it just brings them back, you know? And it's like these little tricks that you learn in sales on, on how to keep, uh, keep someone's attention. And then, and then you know, like, okay, this person's not actually paying attention to me because it took them six seconds to realize that I stopped talking. And that's, a, I mean, six seconds is a very long time uh, to be on the phone with somebody with no sound coming on either end. And, and you know, there's... Or you hear someone typing in the background, right? And you're like unsure if they're taking notes or if they're writing emails. And again, I just stop talking. And and if the clicking stops, then I know that they're (laughs) actually taking notes. And if the clicking keeps going for a while, then I know they're not writing anything I'm saying. And and it's like just being able to understand that, um, I think, is is really fun. Garrett, I I really appreciate your time uh, here today. uh, one last question for you, which is I'm sure that there's going to be listeners of ours who want to follow up with you or would have further questions. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, email and, and email. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, uh, cool. So here's what we'll do. We'll take your email address and, uh, and we'll post it um, in, in attachment to this, uh, to this uh show um so if someone wants to reach out uh they can they can do so via email um but uh but garrett thank you so much for your time uh you're uh you clearly have put a lot of thought into the world of sales i would love to pick this back up and do a a, a version two of this with you at yeah some point. Um, that would be awesome because you're great man I, I love it i love your thoughts and i and i really really appreciate your time this has been a fantastic conversation one of the best ones we've ever done cool yeah thanks so much for having me um it, it was like eerie how you would start to say something and I would like identify with exactly what you were saying at certain points, but no, I'd love to, to do a round two at some point. Um, and yeah, again, thank you so much for your time and, and having me. I love sharing ideas, um, in this trade that we have, which I think is something that hasn't gone on enough in sales. So I think it's awesome. Cool, man. And, uh, and I look forward to seeing you on Bravado. Have a good awesome. one, sir. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Thanks.